Cars today are safer, more reliable, and packing more technology than ever before. But if you're looking for an appliance on wheels, this isn't your show. We want to help everyone find a car they'll really love, capable on the commute, and a laugh on your favorite road. If you take the long way home, this is for you. New cars, used cars, whatever your budget, whatever your needs, if you like to drive, we want to help. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. So, hey, look at that. New intro and everything. There must be something very strange going on with this show, I think. I think this is going to be a unique one. It's a very unique one. This is actually a uh, a neat milestone. You know that? This is a year's yeah. worth of podcasts. We started yep, one year one ago. one year anniversary. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. This is fun it's to crazy do something to think about a little that. different, you know? It's uh, it's fun to, to uh, share our story on this one. So, yeah. So, exactly. So, there's our new intro. And as a result, on this episode, we are going to do something that, that, you know, we were talking about this just the other day. We're doing all these fast blasts now. And we're meeting a yeah. lot of, of, of new fans. We're meeting some people that have been fans for a while that were driving their cars. We've got other fans' cars coming up here soon. And we end up getting into the same conversation every time. And it's a great conversation. But the conversation always is, hey, guys, how did you meet? And how did the show start? It's a good point. And yeah. while we've talked about parts of this, we've never really gone. So here's the background on the show. I know we've given bits and pieces. So we just thought, you know what? We're a year in. Let's just sit here and talk about how did we get here? How did the show start? How do we even know each other? Why on earth do we put up with each other? What the heck is going on at Everyday Driver? <laughs> You're right. We have talked bits and pieces. And I think people know of you know various things. You know, We've talked about first cars and you know, a little bit of our, our backgrounds, but we haven't yeah. really tied yeah. it all together as far mm -hmm. as where we're at now and how the show came about. And we haven't gone way back. You know that? Yeah. And so and so no no car debates this week. If you were hoping for a car debate, that isn't going to happen this week. We will be back next week with more of your car debates. Thank you for your ongoing emails at EverydayDriverTV at Gmail for yeah, those. And yeah. we do have some fast blasts in the San Francisco area that are happening soon. That's pretty cool. And some sh other shoots coming up that's going to be kind of awesome that we're going to talk about as we get to the end, catch up to present day. But we figured we'd just walk you guys through how on earth we got here. And it all started, honestly, I'm not even going to mention how long ago, but it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a long time. Uh, yeah. It was Okay, here, I'll, I'll do this. It wasn't this century. How about that? Oh, um, but anyway, oh. we, we, met, we <laughs> met as roommates. We met as roommates. And here was the thing. I had never, before I moved in, and met Paul, I had never had what I would call potluck roommates. I'd always kind of moved in with people I kind of already knew. But mm -hmm. when I moved from Texas to Los Angeles, I moved in with the first three guys I could find. It was like total friend of a friend thing. I moved in with three guys I'd never met. One I'd spoken to 15 minutes on the phone, and that one was not Paul. So I just kind That's of show right. up with That's my right. Caprice Classic full of junk and a terrible computer, <laughs> and a desire to be a, a screenwriter and director, which I figured was bound to happen in five minutes. And I showed up in Los Angeles and moved in with these guys. And all three of these guys were going to Art Center, which if you have not heard of Art Center, it is an extremely high-end art school in Pasadena, California. You are, you are way up there if you were going to, to Art Center. And Paul was in the transportation program. He was one of my three new kind of surprise roommates. And the irony is... Paul was my least favorite right away. I was like, I don't know about that guy. And I guess that's how I guess that's how brotherhood <laughs> that's, starts because that's I so instantly was just like, I don't know that I like that one over there. But anyway. Interesting. I see I didn't know that at the time and I was pretty much head down in the middle of, you know, my art center student career and yes, that's where yes, I you went. Were, yeah. 
in uh, transportation design and studying cars, I grew up, you know, drawing cars in the margins of my math notebooks. And, you know, I think a lot of guys did, but I took it further and yeah, uh, moved to California. Really and and uh, I, I guess I was just so head down and so focused and concentrating on, you know, trying to do a, a great job and, and uh, you know, have a good career there. I, I guess that was my yeah, you were killing focus it. there. So. Possibly, and you know, I was I was the new weird long haired freaky roommate. I get it. I understand. I was I was the oddball. <laughs> I was the filmmaker of the group ab- around a bunch of artists, and uh, yeah, it was I was definitely the oddball. And of course, I start trying to figure out how on earth do you get in the line to write and direct. And there's two key things to know if you're thinking about doing that for a career. One, the line is long, and two, people can cut in line. So uh, yeah, it is not a it's not a friendly marketplace. Yeah. And I learned a lot of things in 14 years in Los Angeles at that point, but. Uh, um, yeah, and one of the things that I learned is I wrote a lot of screenplays over that time. We'll cover that a bit, but I wrote a lot of screenplays. I directed a few things. I edited a few a uh, few features. I did a lot of stuff, but at the time, I was like the weird guy. I just moved in from Texas and did not have any idea what to do next, so I floundered for a while, but eventually, I wound up working at New Line Cinema, the film studio that is now debunked. Todd moves in and I start to get to know him and, you know, his proclivities and I start to read some of his stuff and wow. Yeah. Writing. Wow. This is quite good. And you could turn this into a film and a screenplay and, you know, just such a different world because I, you know, I'm obviously coming from, from a, a, just like I said, different world, different headspace and learning about what you do. And I, I find it so fascinating that the way our friendship started and the way it's, you know, here we are. I'll, I'll make the joke back at you, and that is, who on earth thought that there were people that sat in a room and drew cars for a living? I mean, really? <laughs> you know, there. And and and, and, right. and 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 no offense, no offense to you or anybody that's gone to Art Center, but that a that program exists, and b it's hard to get into drawing cars, really. But <laughs> right. yet, if you go to Art Center, there is throwdown work being done there. Yeah. And so it's yeah. it's very interesting how specialized that becomes. But here we were roommates, and then I ended up getting married and moved out. It was uh, eighteen months, two years later. But I ended up getting married, moved out, still working at New Line. I mean, I'm I, I have my day job in post production. I am working at the back end. I mean, about just a few steps before. Hi, welcome to AMC. Can I take your ticket? Uh, That's where I worked in the film studio world. Well, okay, I'm I'm, uh, I'm underselling it. I, I mean, think you're I underselling worked, it. I mean, you worked at New Line. You worked at, worked on Lord of the Rings, and and they sent you worldwide travel working on these films. I mean, these were massive, major films that you worked on. I worked on 250 films over the course of nearly 10 years at New Line. Wow! And that was my day job while I did, you know whatever I could find freelance, writing scripts, trying to direct things, you know, trying to get that part of my career going. I had a full day job that was a total, you know, post-production problem solving. I mean, literally, my joke always was, we were the problem solvers between ran film through the camera on the set today, and at that point, yes, most of it was film, to, hey, can I take your ticket? I mean, we covered all of post-production, and when something went wheels off and had a problem, they called our department and went, so this happened, what do we do? So we were those problem-solved guys, but here I am, this creative guy working at New Line in a non-creative problem-solving role, and eventually it drove me nuts because I was working on a bunch of movies that, frankly, were awful. And I'm sitting here going, guys, that scene, three scenes in, that where the movie goes to hell, you could have fixed that in the script and should have. Why did nobody notice that? But, of course, I'm weird long-haired guy in post, and nobody's listening to me. So not that I didn't try, mind you, but, uh, but New Line, in fact, a side note on the Hollywood world, you'll still see, like The Hobbit, for example, has the New Line Cinema logo on the front. Yeah, how is this possible? How is it still around? Well, yeah, because 
New Line used to be its own studio. When I worked there, it was its own studio. They had offices in New York and L.A. They had uh, about 700 employees during the time I worked there. So it's a decent-sized company, but not huge. But they were a subsidiary under the AOL Time Warner monster, okay, mm-hmm. alongside mm-hmm. Warner Brothers. So you have, you know, when you think about line items in a huge company, here's two full film studios. Well, at the time I was there, you had Warner Brothers handling Harry Potter and, and creating cash, and you had New Line handling Lord of the Rings and creating cash, so you leave both those line items alone. The problem becomes, when Lord of the Rings finishes in, you know, came out in December of 2003, which kind of makes me realize, wow, it was a long time ago. But anyway, when that happened, <laughs> then the movies after that, let's be honest, were mostly terrible, and I saw all of them, and I can say that, but anyway... What happened eventually is that they just folded New Line into Warner Brothers. So when you see the logo, what you're actually seeing is now about 30 people total that technically work under the New Line banner, and it's just a banner. If you see, uh, uh, what was it, Castle Rock or Morgan Creek, for example, those are the same kind of thing. It's 20 or 30 people that work kind of front-end development, hey, let's find projects, but then Mm. everything else is actually handled by the Warner Brothers staff. So the, the shingle exists because the shingle has history, but it is no longer a studio. When I worked there, it was a studio. I left in, uh, what was it? Well, actually, that relates to our story. I left in 07. I'm jumping ahead a bit, but I'll jump back. I left in 07 because I was very much done. I was very burned out. But I, I did. I yeah, worked I 250 that. movies there and got to a place where I was, you know, my cre- creative interests were running so contrary to my day job that at some point I just was like, I got to get out. I got to be a better person because I'm just not enjoying this anymore, which is terrible to say because many parts of it were a great job, but it had just burned me out over a decade. Man, after uh, after that, I went to, well, I had interned at Ford in Dearborn out in Detroit, interned there yeah. for a while. And if you guys remember the Mercury Cougar from very early, yeah. late 90s, 2000, somewhere in there, and as mm-hmm. an intern, I was working on what was to be the next generation. And this was right when Jay Mays got hired at Ford as the head designer. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't know who Jay Mays is, he's the he's the big cheese at Ford still. He's the he is head of worldwide design. Everybody at Ford reports to him. And when he mm-hmm. signed on, they were in the middle of that nasty Thunderbird retro bring back the Thunderbird. Um, and they had the, the LS in the studio and I went, wow, that's a weird BMW that's in the studio. That's a Lincoln. What the heck Mm. are you guys thinking? And so I went in to meet him and he actually said, I'm so glad you came in because everybody else is afraid of me and I have an open door policy and nobody's come to say hello. I manage all these design teams worldwide. Nobody stopped by my office to ask my thoughts on where we're going to take forward as a, as a company and, all this stuff. And, and here I, you are, the intern. And yeah. I'm the intern. Yeah, I, yeah. I want to know. I'm inquisitive. And, you know, of course, the, the VP offices, the C-suite offices there, just it's a different world than the working class, yeah. you know, kinds of guys out in the trenches. But he was very open. He's still there. He has set forward on a completely different direction since then, as you know. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, Jay yeah. was uh, – he was one of the designers for the Audi TT and uh, helped influence that that shape. So also Art Center guy, as a matter of fact, and mm-hmm. um, had a stint at Kawasaki Motors down in Orange County, California, designing That's right, you did. Cruiser you were bikes down there for a while. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's ATVs. It was less crotch rockets. If you think it sounds really cool, it was good. I was actually the only designer for the small studio there, and all the uh, the Japan team keeps the the bikes, the hot bikes, to themselves in Japan. Sure. And so I was working on cruisers for the you know women 
you know, for the female market, I was working on off-road vehicles, the watercraft, all that kind of stuff. So it was good I remember because you had access it, to their to their loaner fleet. I yeah, remember that. you'd come yeah, up on a different bike every weekend. Yep, I remember that for sure. That was pretty fun. I could just leave my car there and and check out a bike from their press fleet, as a matter of fact. And and yeah, uh, yeah, that, yeah. that's what they gave out to all the motorcycle magazines. And so that's that's my transportation design background. And, and um, it's funny because. Uh, Todd will say, you know, most of what he's learned about car design, he's learned from me. And, and I say most of what I've learned about screenwriting and directing and filmmaking and storytelling, I've learned from Todd because he has that mm. analytical mind. And I, I do think your time at New Line shaped that, even though you wanted to be doing the screenwriting, the production side of it helped you. It helps everyday driver. It helps our show tremendously in terms sure. of, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. the finished product and the, the storytelling mm-hmm. and you know, what he sees through the camera, what Todd sees through the, you know, in his eyes is what the camera is looking at, not what you and I are looking at at the scenery and that kind of thing. He's, he's always thinking storyline throughout, you know, this thread throughout the films. And, um, we're I, trying, I, we're certainly absolutely trying. <laughs> it's there. It's there. And so, you know, your, your past career that you're describing is really, yeah. I can hear the foundation of it as you're, Telling the sure. audience here, it's pretty interesting. Sure, sure, and here and here's the thing. I mean, you know, we're we're jumping around a little bit timeline wise, but I think you'll put the pieces together. I mean, you know, here I was in the early 2000s. You know, Lord of the Rings is is going like crazy, and we've got a lot of weird uh, weird hours and sleepless nights. I mean, the other other movies going on while I'm there. I mean, I worked on Magnolia. I worked on the Austin Powers films. I worked oh on Blade gosh. movies. I mean, anything that New Line released in a decade, I worked on. You were you, you worked know? on and, Gone and, with the Wind. You. Todd has seen Gone with the Wind more than anybody else on the planet. I guarantee you. And and, and by the way, not because I'm that old, but because (laughs) New Line was involved. Exactly. That movie came out, you know, your your grandparents saw that movie in the theater. Anyway, but but that but here's the thing. That movie for some for weird there's so many weird deals that happen in Hollywood. It's funny you bring up uh, Gone with the Wind. Thanks so much for the scarring that that brings me back to. I'm I'm switching. I remember that phase, and you were just like. Twitching, <laughs> make it stop. It was what that oh, phase yeah. was called. But yeah, but, but New Line wound up embroiled in the remaster of Gone with the Wind, which New Line was never involved in Gone with the Wind recently, but because of deals and madness. And I ended up watching that movie literally more times than I can now count. I mean, most New Line movies I saw fifty to a hundred times. That one, Unreal. well over a hundred. I saw the Lord of the Rings movies hundreds upon hundreds of times. Uh, it just depends on how problematic was the film, what were we trying to do, how fast were we pushing it through. It just got nuts. But, you know, during all those years, I mean, it was like 03, 04, right around that time, pretty early on to the resurgence of Top Gear, I found it for some rebroadcasts that were on uh, Discovery here in the U.S. Did you really? I remember stumbling, I stumbled upon it and was like, what the heck is this? And it was, I remember the first episode I ever saw uh, was Jeremy driving the... Um, the Enzo when it had just come out, they borrowed that Enzo from the drummer from Pink Floyd. Oh, okay, he drove yeah. the Enzo. He Nick was giggling Mason. like a giggling like a schoolboy. And I remember watching that piece and thinking, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait, wait! I've seen Motor Week. I like cars. This is the exact polar opposite of Motor Week. And why isn't there something on U.S. television that even resembles this flavor?" Right. I didn't take the thought any further than that right there at that time, but I was instantly struck by it and took this this thing that I had found and showed it to Paul as soon as I could because he was my car guy friend. And and I'm jumping around, obviously, but after I got married, my wife and Paul became really good friends, actually. And we ended up, we, we of all of our kind of close circle of friends, the three of us were the most dedicated snow skiers. So yeah. it ended up a lot of times, the three of us would spend 
the five-plus-hour drive from Los Angeles to Mammoth, California, just the three of us going up for the weekend because nobody else wanted to go. We did a lot of trips, just the three of us. Yeah, and as yeah. a result, we just got closer. All three of us did. I mean, my wife and Paul are still great friends. And that, that was really the foundation that kind of accidentally and organically happened. And, of course, there's lots of conversation about cars going on during that. We're doing a huge road trip. And so Top Gear gets kind of wrapped into all of this kind of forming that our friendship's ha having. And then I'm getting more and more frustrated at New Line. And then, we've talked about this before, I bought my 300ZX and you bought your 928. I mean, all of these interesting, no seemingly non-connected threads are merging there in the early 2000s. And we haven't even had the idea for the show yet. I remember when you brought that 300ZX home and, and you know... <laughs> It was an expensive car for you then. It wasn't, you know, the most expensive thing ever, but it no. was way different than anything you've ever had. It had power Hugely and so. loads Hugely of so. style and loads of handling. And I remember when you first let me drive that car and we were just laughing like, wow, this mm -hmm. is – it started to, I think, really poke that place inside of us that we talk about on the car yeah. debate to all of our mm -hmm. audience here. It started to poke that mm – -hmm. Hey, why don't we go burn gas just for fun? Why yeah, not? Let's go driving for the sake of driving, not to do an errand, not to go somewhere, yeah. not for the sake of actually going to have fun. And it started to really wake that up. And yeah, I got the 928. I I was intrigued. I thought, well, you know, it was actually only $19,000, which is not nothing, I but it's not, uh, you know, it's not crazy. And I thought I could have a yeah. Porsche for, mm -hmm. you know, 19 mm -hmm. grand. And I I actually then wasn't that into Porsche. I think that was the first car that really started to push me towards German cars yes. and noticing Take, take note, listeners, that was the beginning of the end right there. <laughs> Bought a 928 and the rest is very much history. And if you need Paul, he'll be swimming back backstroke <laughs> in the pool of Porsche. Yes, that's very true. This is me over here. Yeah, both those cars and... You know, we both drove each other's cars, and it just started to feed that more and more. And then this Top Gear thing came along, and we started talking well, and, more and, and right. more. For the first time in my life, I mean, I'd always enjoyed driving, and I'd always been – I mean, I was the kid at 14 that was reading all the car magazines and new stats that nobody really should have kept in their head. I was that kid. <laughs> but here's the thing. I, you, you've heard our car history. A few episodes back, we talked our car history. And my car history did everything it could to kill that, okay? Let's be honest. Yeah. Until the 300ZX, yeah. which was like a resurrection of that part of me. And now, because of living in Southern California, so many great roads, I was able to go out on just, just on a Sunday morning and just drive 150 miles because it was just there. Because which is some people think funny. is insane. But why not? And and that was a car that even though, look, the 300ZX I had, look, I will acknowledge it was non-turbo and it was automatic because I lived in Los Angeles and that was cheap, okay? And so this is not an amazing version of that car even, but compared to my car history, it was revelatory and totally changed my perspective of driving, my driving style. So many things started down that road. And then the new line thing for me personally is crumbling, 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 crumbling. Yeah. And yeah. so right about 07... I went into my boss and I said, I'm leaving. And he said, where are you going? And I had a great boss and I had a great relationship with him. We'd worked together for nearly a decade. And he said, where are you going? And I said, I'm just going. 
and he didn't have an answer for that. He just kind of looked at me. And I'm not saying this was the smartest thing in history, but I was, I was that far down a bad road, and I just I had to get out. Mm-hmm. And then what we decided to do, we had, this was 07. We had ju- we, literally, it was that long ago. It was 2007. We had just started playing with an idea that was kind of crazy. But I said to Paul, I said, look, Top Gear exists, and we love it. Motor Week exists, and we don't. Where is the show in the middle? Where is the show that's giving you information, a la Motor Week, but yet is enjoyable to watch, a la Top Gear? And, and here's the thing about Top Gear. Look, I, I've said this probably on this podcast. I know I've said it to other people before. Top Gear, as we all know, Top Gear UK, if you take a $300,000 uh, sports car sideways, 100 miles an hour in a cloud of smoke down a runway, I want to watch that, but it is irrelevant to my life. Right. So. Right. That was our whole discussion. That's car porn, but it's not. There's no relevance there at all. There's no reality, and so our, our th- conversation was: Can't you have something entertaining and fun that is still informative, that still looks well shot, like somebody cared? And and here I am, the filmmaker in me was just like, okay, I'm leaving my job at New Line. I've got a window of time when I can work on whatever I want. Why don't we try this? And and please understand when I say that, I'm a director. I don't want to be in mm-hmm. front of the camera. Prior to this, I've been in front of the camera twice, both as tiny little things in Friends short films, and I went kicking and screaming. I don't want to be in front of a camera. That's not my interest. (laughs) I married an actress, but it's not my gift. And then Paul, poor Paul in this scenario, honestly, had never been on a set before. No, And I've worked with tons of people that are in all kinds of production. And I said to him, I said, hey, let's try this. Let's take your car. And at the time, he now had his A4 wagon, and I had my 300ZX. Yeah. If you want to laugh... You probably don't want to do this, actually. But if you want to laugh, yeah, you can watch those not. reviews. Because those, that's the genesis. <laughs> but anyway, but we went out with, with the cameras that I had in my closet, which were not great cameras. We went out and just literally tried it. That's, that's all we were doing. Does this even have any chance of working? And I got the footage into post yeah. and looked at it as an editor and went, wow, that's really not good. That's really not good. <laughs> However, I recognized how it could get better. I looked at it and went, this is not good enough. It needs to only be better, but here's how it could be better. And so that was kind of, honestly, that was the b- very beginning in 07 when we just tried it with our own cars. And and that was, I, I mean, what was your perspective on that? Because I remember just thinking about it so analytically of, okay, here I am in front of the camera. Here's Paul in front of the camera. We have no scripts, folks. We're just trying this. It's funny. I'm sure John Davis, the host of Motor Week, is a perfectly nice guy to hang out with, have a beer with, whatever. And I'm sure he's a nice guy. But neither of us, we both agreed, were compelled by Motor Week. I love cars, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't stand Mm -hmm. watching the thing. And I think you've described the show accurately. You've called it a a rolling brochure, a video version of a car brochure. And you you flip through even the hottest cars of an Aston Martin Ferrari, you still get to the point where you're just kind of flipping through the brochure, like, just give me the meat, just give me the good stuff. And Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. you said, you know, amazingly hot cars, yeah, they really are cool and fun and and cool to watch on TV, but I can't afford that. You can't afford that. It remains out there as entertainment. It's not actually attainable. It's not what, Mm -hmm. actually, you know, I could, I think I could afford that and I think I'd like to own that. None of those thoughts enter your head when you're watching. You're just thinking, oh, some (laughs) jerk off with a hot car and a camera dorking around with this thing. And okay, that was cool. And it's just, it's in the entertainment category, which is not where we Mm -hmm. wanted to be. We didn't want to just be 
spewing statistics, nor did we want to just be over here in the entertainment category. There had to be a middle ground. There had to be, you know, yeah. we can That's balance we either way. And so yeah. to answer your question about where it was, yeah, I had never been on a set. Even though I was in high school, you'll laugh, I was a tour guide at the Budweiser Brewery just outside of Fort Collins in Colorado. That's where I grew up. And uh -huh. so I was used to doing tours with people, but being on camera, what? what? I, I never craved yeah. I never yeah, yeah, yeah. set out to be on camera. I I was in the design industry. I wasn't in Los Angeles yeah, to be an exactly. actor or anything. I mm -hmm. could care less, man. And yeah. camera on me for the first few times, I'm going, all right, so uh, camera. And then the more you and I started to do this, it was just as if, you know what? Just talk as if it's you in the car and we're just having a conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. just a single person. It's your best friend. It's It's a friend. You're just having a conversation and that's all. And yeah. that's where my headspace started to go. And now that's how we run the show, really. It's, Very much so. Well, and and, and that funny. was, you know, we, we shot these these test things and I edited them together and they were okay. They were, they were okay at best. But I could see there was something in there that might work. And, and, and the truth of it was, I didn't want to be director on this and hire somebody to be an actor I wanted to be the guy in the seat because one of the things I learned at New Line, this is weird, doesn't seem like it connects right away, but I, but I learned it. When I was at New Line, there are a ton of very detailed, very complex, frankly, very confusing realities that go on in post-production about moving a, a project through the different stages. And we would have to talk directors through all the time. Okay, you know, your film's at this stage and it's got to go to this stage and here's what's happened. And I realized early on that I had a quick ability to learn these complex concepts and then explain them in such a way that somebody that had never heard even the words being used could kind of get it. Mm -hmm. And I was better at it than my boss, who'd been doing it for 20 years and is a post-production savant. But I was better at just explaining it to the guy that just walked in the door than he was. That skill set is something that's helped me as a director, it's helped me as a writer, and now it helps me on the show. Mm -hmm. We can absorb this fire hose of information about these cars, and I can sit there and go, here's the stuff I feel like I, you probably want to hear. And sometimes I think that really works with people. Sometimes I'm not saying I always get it right, but 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 that same skill set applies here. And I could see that your proclivities with design and your background in the automotive industry and your understanding of that inner workings gave you a very unique perspective on cars as well. I mean, there's a, yeah. a little side note here about automotive journalists. A lot of people don't realize there was some guy on one of our videos that was commenting about, do you guys have engineering degrees? No. But here's the thing, 99.5% of the automotive journalists you're reading or hearing from or whatever, they're journalists. They have journalism degrees. They don't have engineering degrees. Right. They don't have car design degrees. Right. Now, there was a guy, um, uh, what was his name? The guy that used to be uh, Chabachire, is that his name? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. There's a guy with an engineering degree. For car and And a lot of yeah. brain a lot of brain power and incredibly good at, at describing complex engineering concepts. He's the exception, not the rule, folks. Most of the people you're reading or hearing about are journalists. Yeah, I was going to say add Robert Cumberford to the list. He has for years oh, been a yeah. journalist. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was Huge actually designer. a designer as well. So not only does he know mm -hmm. everybody in the design industry, he was a designer himself. Yeah. He's now retired in France. But you'll see uh, for a long time he would do design critiques. And you think, well, who is mm -hmm. this guy? He's just a writer. No, actually he's not. He he yeah. used to design. He understands the process. He knows what he's talking about. And that's that's the same thing that I'm trying to do here is – 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's why mm-hmm. I talk about styling and design so much because it matters to people so much. If it didn't, yeah. if cars weren't fashion items, if people didn't just want the new one because it looked better, had the better looking or better materials or whatever it is, then it yeah, wouldn't yeah. matter. But it is such a big deal to the car buying process. This is why car companies have design teams to attract buyers. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. What Harley Earl started back in the 20s for GM as the first color and trim department. And the notion that really cars could be a fashion item. They could be really something to, you know, this is your lifestyle kind of embedded in this car. You like the style and the flavor. And, oh, yeah, by the way, it has to, you know, be in your budget and be pretty safe and powerful and all that stuff. But that has ballooned. (laughs) Those requirements have ballooned. Customers are so savvy, and and they want that to fit their life so much, and that's why I talk about styling so much. It, it's it's so wrapped up in terms of car buying. You are a rarity in that world because you're coming at it. You're coming at it with that design background, and the vast majority of journalists, and myself included, we don't have that design background at all. The vast majority of automotive journalists are journalists first that happen to like cars or happen to have the ability or want to write about cars. They're journalists. That's the background. They're right. not coming from, you know, I'm coming from filmmaking with a backstory and a personal history in cars, but I'm coming to, from filmmaking. You're coming from design. That makes us a very unique two guys to get into this. But there it was, end of 07, early 08, we decided, okay, well, I decided, let's be honest, to shoot a half-hour pilot. Because I envisioned Everyday Driver as a TV show. I never thought about it for the web. And I presented it to you as, let's try to shoot this as a TV show. I've got a, I've got a manager. I've got some contacts in L.A. Let's actually shoot this half-hour mm-hmm. pilot and shop it as a TV show. Now, this is when Speed Channel was still around. This feels wow. like this is forever ago now. But anyway. It's not so really, but sh- in terms of how fast technology, in terms of cameras and the Internet yeah, and the yeah, platform yeah. for mm-hmm. all this, in terms of how fast mm-hmm. that has moved – yeah, it, it is. It feels forever ago. Yeah, you're right. It is a while. So, so we ended up shopping this half-hour TV pilot in 08. And the TV pilot was four car reviews plus a little joke section where we raced a couple of moving vans. And uh, if, if you dig around a little bit, our original red Lotus Elise standalone review That's and our right. original Porsche Boxster review, those are two of the only surviving sections of our original half-hour TV pilot. And we shopped it to Speed Channel and a few other places. And let me sum up. This is, this is now middle <laughs> of 08. So let me sum up two, two realities here. One, this is when the economy is now getting chopped off, off the, at the knees and taking a dive. So every one of our conversations went essentially like this. Wow, this is really great. We really like this. Who are you guys? Followed by, yeah, we're not buying anything right now. Nobody's buying anything. Yeah. Awesome. So now we had this half-hour pilot that people seemed to like, and we had nowhere to put it. Yeah. So so we've got, so I'm I'm at this point I'm stumped. I'm not thinking let's make a web show. I'm just sitting there going, well, what do we do now? You know that was so, never the intention. It was never. Um, it, it took a while for both of our heads to kind of point towards the web, and you know YouTube yeah. not being the platform that it is today. It was mm-hmm. kind of starting out. You realize. I don't think YouTube at at this point in time, I don't think YouTube is quite 10 years old yet. You know that? No, YouTube was 05. YouTube was like 05. So, oh, it is. So here's okay, the thing so about it's the end, right about a decade about the end old. Of 08, the end of 08, beginning of, of 09, here's the thing that's interesting about that time period. That was when YouTube decided we can be more than cat videos. And Google was swooping in to, to absorb it. It was all that kind mm-hmm. of time period. 
Google began in 09, they began their partner program. What's interesting about that is tons of people are partners now. We were contacted by YouTube in 09. Mm -hmm. We'd put a few things up. We started to chase other cars. We were just starting to build a catalog, but it was slow going for us. And YouTube approached us and said, we're going to do partnership with channels that we think are going, doing high-quality stuff. You can share in the ad revenue. And I'm getting this email from YouTube going, what is this now? And so we signed mm -hmm. up ground floor and got mm -hmm. everything you could get out of partnership out of YouTube. Our problem was, I'm a film guy. I was going to make a TV show. We weren't cranking out content. It was like, here's a piece. And three months later, here's another piece. And then, I don't know if you remember this, Paul, but it was late 09. We did our uh, 3Z cars piece, which was a throwdown for us. I mean, it was all three of those generations, the 300, the 350, and the 370. In late 09 was one of our first really good press car gets uh, from Nissan, and we did that big piece that's still getting watched a lot today. That was a huge piece for us, and that was late 09 when we were barely partners at YouTube. It's funny because uh, people always ask us, wow, how come you guys get to drive all these hot cars? And the answer is always, well, I've wanted to drive hot cars my whole life, and it's either be independently wealthy or an automotive journalist. There's yeah, really no other way true. around it. I, yep. I remember that quite like it was yesterday. I, I mean, you're taking us way back, and I, I just I, I keep thinking about this time period when we were still renting fairly expensive high-end cameras. The advent of the digital SLR, mm -hmm. which is what we use, Available yeah, at a yeah. price point that most people could afford had not really come in. about. Yeah. GoPro was certainly was not in existence at that point. Well, um, not and, and the stuff that they were the stuff that GoPro was doing was well. Technically, you recorded that, but nobody can really see it very well. I mean, that was the right. GoPro level we were at. So right. GoPros were weren't even in our cameras. Quiver. And then finally, yep. you are coming from filmmaking. I'm coming from design, and so that means both of our headspace and our agreement between each other is. Neither of us want to put our name on something that isn't good. We don't want to make a piece yeah. that is just yeah, yeah, yeah. stupid or trashy or doesn't even look good or you know doesn't sound mm -hmm. good or all of those mm -hmm. stuff. It's got to be high-quality content, but that doesn't really work for a web model. It works for the TV pilot model. It works for television yeah. all day long, yeah. but it's not really conducive to the web mm -hmm. you know, entertainment, the constant 24-hour flow of information to create videos like this at a high level, that takes a mm -hmm. lot of time, a lot of work. And it was something we weren't going to do that. We weren't going to go there. What, what I really should have been inspired by, I should have been inspired to do a uh, show of the two of us sitting behind a desk talking about automotive news. We would have done much more content if I, that had been my <laughs> grand idea. That is not the grand idea we had. But here's the thing. We got to, I, I remember this happened though. We got to the Z car piece and we had kind of a, a, a meeting of the minds on it and realized something. Everything to that point had been the same schedule wise. And what I mean by that is we'd chase a car. We'd get a car. We'd be thrilled we got a car. We'd shoot that car. I'd edit the car. We'd post the car. And then we'd go, huh, maybe we should do another one. And then yeah. we'd start the cycle over. And yeah. it would take months. When we finished the Z car piece, we told ourselves we were never going to shoot another piece where when we were standing on set to shoot, we didn't already know what the next shoot was and already have cars booked. And that right. got us slowly for the first time into monthly content. And finally with monthly content, and this is the end of 09 now. This is how long it took us to get to that stage. We got into consistent monthly content, and the first half of 2010 was consistent monthly stuff, except for one large problem. <laughs> one, I became a father. Two, 
I could no longer afford to live in Los Angeles, and I moved from L.A. to Utah in 2010, right as the show was becoming consistent enough to be monthly and to make just enough money to be paying for itself, because we were out of pocket prior to that. So this was another the question people were asking. How do you guys keep making the oh, show right. when Todd lives in Utah and Paul lives in L.A.? I, I don't get it. It's was the consistent question. And I thought, well, yeah. airplanes, that's what we have to rely yeah. on. That was that the was truth it. of it. I mean, Paul was now getting able to get us consistent press cars, and we were putting out a piece every month. And literally, I moved to Utah, and all of the money that the show was making barely anything. It was making just enough for, like, a plane ticket and a tank of gas. Guess yeah. what? How the show was paid for. I would hop <laughs> a plane, fly from Utah to L.A. We'd put a tank of gas in the press car. We'd go shoot. You know, yeah. uh, we, you know, we, we, money had been put in, so we had all our own cameras, but this was, this was, we were in the red in all of these scenarios. Luckily the yeah. actual production part was just barely breaking even. And then I'd fly back to Utah. This is the reason monthly was as fast as we could go. Cause if we wanted to shoot, one of us had to fly to the other one. And that's so getting, how it happened in 2010. I was getting go press on. cars from our, uh, our, Sanctioning body is what I'll call it. It's the journalist group operating out of Los Angeles, which is one of the biggest. They're called Motor Press Guild, and we are mm -hmm. always wondering, you know, how are we, you know, getting into the press car thing here? And and Motor Press Guild sanctions all the journalists, photographers, anybody in the automotive industry as, you know, the the journalist and and um, uh, automotive journalism group. And so they would have awards every year. And, you know, mm -hmm. there were big names. I mean, we were in there with, with all all the big names that you know, from Kelly Blue Book to Motor Trend to Car and Driver. Mm -hmm. All, you know, a lot of fabulous writers. All of writers, those names have got folks that are in the Motor journalists. Press Guild. And they would do, you know, submissions for the best of every area. And yeah. we got nominated for video for three years in a row, 2010, 2011, 2012. We got nominated all three of those years, and everybody else in the nomination group is huge names you've heard of. And then it's, wait, Everyday Driver in the and top then, five. Who, who, who are who they? Are, yeah, who are these guys? You know, uh, I was like, heard of them, heard of them, heard of them. Who are those guys? We were those right, guys. Uh, right. But, I mean, that was a great confirmation, and it was also a situation where it got us a little bit more recognition chasing press cars. It never got easy. It's still not easy. But it a lot, got a little recognition, and... The fact that we were at least cranking out monthly stuff that was high quality, at least the manufacturers knew, okay, if you're not big, you're doing great stuff with it. And we're, we're known to not wreck press cars, which is also very helpful. <laughs> or give them back to them just, you know, barely working or the tires are bald mangled. or, yeah, you know, mangled, com exactly, yeah, completely yeah. crushed, that kind of thing. It's interesting because you think press cars are a candy land and they've got every car, like two or three models of every single car they make. That yeah, just no, isn't the case, and we've talked about this before on the on the, uh, on the podcast. They load cars up, so they want to get cars into the hands of people who will see these cars. They want to know what are you going to go mm -hmm. do mm -hmm. with the car that we give you. Are you going to write about it? Are you going to film a video? Are you just going to take pictures? Are you going to write a book? What are you going to do? We want the yeah. media yeah, yeah. when you are done with it, but they want to know who's who and who's doing things. And because we had quality. That's why they started to give us a lot more because they knew mm -hmm. whatever we said about it, whether good or bad about the car, they knew it would be shown in top quality, you know, mm -hmm. photographs, video. It would be shown in the best light. In other words, it would be, yeah. it would be really well done piece. And that's just grown from there, which is, like I said, it's been a relationship with all the automotive manufacturers because they, you know, we want to get cars from them. They want to, we want to drive their products. Yeah. They want to trust us too. And so it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship that we've got. 
It's and it's and it's ongoing, and it and it changes bits and pieces as different people move from different companies. It changes and morphs. But sure. you know, sure. we got to we got to 2012, 2013. Now we were fairly well known, and we at least in that world, you know, getting press cars and some of our journalist peers knew us, respected us, which was a hugely flattering thing. Because again, at this point and still now, but at this point, it's pretty much Paul and I. We have guys that help us shoot, but it's Paul and I doing everything. And not getting paid, mind you. I mean, the thing that you have right. to keep in mind, even up to, to present day, Paul and I have maintained other jobs. Now, we look for the day when everyday driver is all we do. But we yeah. decided early on, I mean, early on, it was costing us money. But we decided early on we wanted to do this badly enough. and We believed in this show well enough that we were not going to burden it with it has to pay our bills. So the money that comes in for the show turns right back around and goes into making more show or making a better show be it better gear or better locations or whatever it is. We want, to, we want to go very high end. And I will fully acknowledge I'm a huge driving force for Let's Do Quality, and that is the opposite idea for a successful YouTube channel. Uh, so if you're listening and you want to start a successful YouTube channel, don't do what Uncle Todd did and don't, <laughs> don't, don't chase quality. Please get yourself a GoPro and a wall you can stand in front of, and you'll be far more successful. Even and your so phone by, will do just fine. <laughs> this is the truth. But by early 2013, I mean, we were now very busy, and we were trying to chase things that were big. And that's when we did our 50 years of 9-11, because we wanted yep. to do something yeah. now that was even beyond a YouTube scale. We wanted to do something huge, and we pursued that 50 years of 9-11 film. And we didn't even, I mean, here's the thing. We haven't been nominated by Motor Press Guild since 2012, because we haven't submitted ourselves, because we've been too busy to think about it. I mean, that's tr right. truly what's happened. You know, right. and in 2013, we were we were consumed with getting this 50 years of 9-11 done and amazingly worked it out. Even more amazingly, we're the only ones that did it, which shocked me. But mm -hmm. that film yeah. put us on a whole different level in a couple of different things. One, people that didn't didn't know who we were prior have bumped into us as a result of that film. I mean, when we were at – you and I were just joking about this. The lead instructor at that ST Octane Academy thing we just did, Johnny – yeah, we were yeah. talking to one of the other people in the class. I mean, you you were there for this, and mentioned in passing we'd done a fifty years of nine eleven film, and he he just stopped right in the middle of what he was doing and went, "Oh my gosh, that was you guys!" I mean, he'd seen yeah. that film and hadn't even joined the realities in his head yet, and there we are standing in front of him shooting St Octane. He loved the fifty years of nine eleven film and had seen it, remembered it. And hadn't put together that it was the same guys. So a lot of people have discovered us that way. And thankfully, Velocity Channel, which, let's be honest, is the closest thing today to Speed Channel when we shopped in 08, mm -hmm. is playing 50 Years of 9-11 still. And we have an open door with them to hopefully create more TV content for them. And that's an ongoing discussion we can't get into details on, but that's an ongoing discussion. But that just put us on a whole different playing field. But that leads me to the twist in this whole story. And okay. that is, we finally, after doing years of monthly content and not able to, people kept going, why don't you do more content? Because one of us has to fly to the other one. And that costs money. <laughs> but then, beginning of this year, you moved to Utah for myriad of reasons. The reason, here's the thing. In spite of the fact that we wanted to do more content, the number one reason we're doing weekly content right now is because I can call Paul on a Sunday afternoon and go, we've got a car at 3 and we're shooting till 6. Nobody has to fly anywhere. We can just go do it. Yeah, we're in different states. It's, you know, hour and a half flight. It's amazing what living in close proximity, it's amazing the amount of work that we're being able to do to ramp up the show even yeah, more. I mean, absolutely. yeah, the monthly content absolutely. was important, but just by living in the same place. And as Todd said, 
I am in Utah now, and, and it's my job that allows me to do that. It's my day job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at, at first we were really reluctant to tell people that we had other jobs. But, you know, if you think about it, you've, you've read journalists' work in other magazines. You've probably read uh, Chris Harris's work elsewhere. You've read Ezra Dyer's work elsewhere. On and on, they write for Octane and this magazine and that magazine, and it's because they have writing skills and they want to do a number of different things. Even television hosts, they will host other kinds of shows. Doesn't matter if it's car related or some sort of science, you know, show or whatever it is. They're they're doing a lot of different things. If you're talking about somebody at a huge masthead, well known magazine like a Motor Trend, unless you're a staff mm-hmm. writer for them. Most automotive journalists are writing lots of places and sometimes not even just writing about cars. You may find them popped up on Forbes or wherever else that are not even writing about cars anymore. Or, you know, there's some guys that write for uh, blogs about uh, cars, but also blogs about tech that have nothing to do with cars. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of automotive journalists, other than the guys with the big names, that have other gigs. We continue to have other gigs. I mean, I edit for a living. I I do TV commercials. I edit uh, TV shows. Um, that's what I do on the, and honestly, at this point, it's on the side of everyday driver. Everyday driver is an enormous <laughs> amount of work, but everyday driver still another doesn't job. pay me. It still doesn't it's pay another me. Job. I pay my bills and I take care of my family with my editorial skills, but that's all TV shows and, and commercials. And then I really work on everyday driver. Occasionally in the YouTube comments, it's. It's tapered off, but there were lots of comments consistently about, oh, well, you know, Toyota must have paid these guys off to say such nice things, or, you know, Ford must have paid these guys to do blood, you know, anything with this car. I'm going, no, you know, it's just not the case because they don't Mm. need to pay journalists to do that. Journalists want to write about their cars and get it out there. Journalists have their own methods of making their, you know, making, uh, you know, getting their shows paid for, that kind of thing. But, Generally speaking, the car companies are in business to sell cars, not to pay people to review them. So if you think at any point that is just not the case across the board, I've never heard of any car company saying, hey, here's money to review our thing, whatever it is, and say some nice things. They don't do that. That is just not the well, case. Even, here's the thing. True. Even even if they even if they do, they aren't doing it with us. And I would like to to, to put out an extended welcome right now to all car makers right now. I mean, <laughs> if you would like to pay us, I would more than happily take your money. It will not change what I say about your car, but I'd be more than of happy course, to collect a check, cash that check and spend some some of, the, some of that money. So, yeah, we we continue to work hard because we believe in the show long term. We believe in the quality yeah. of the content and we work as hard or harder than anyone and don't get paid because we believe in the long term of the idea. And we continue to talk about not only how to make feature films, but also how to get this thing on television, how to broaden the brand, other uh, aspects that I'm not going to get into right now, but broadening the brand other places because we believe that this is something that we will continue to transition into more full time and be paid all of our salary for it. But this has been a massive labor labor of love that continues. And we added the podcast to talk to you. I mean, a year ago now, amazing, to talk to you guys a little more candidly about what's yeah. going on behind the scenes. Because, you know, there's a lot more pieces of this than there were when we started and had a half-hour pilot. And just sharing who we are and how hard we're working because we want to share this with you. 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons I was able to move to Utah and, and make the connection even closer here, as Todd said, a myriad of reasons, but it was my job that allowed me to do that. I work for a company called Autodesk, large software company. And you've probably seen on a lot of my tweets, you know, I might tweet at Autodesk. That's because we're doing some awesome stuff. I'm specifically in the car industry for software mm -hmm. from a creative standpoint and travel to Southern California frequently to go to all the car studios. It's been, it's been kind of fun to, to walk into companies like Tesla or, you know, even the guys in, in GM in Detroit, they go, wait, the mm -hmm. guy for everyday driver works for you, works for Autodesk. Who knew? That's crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah, 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 it's because this is a labor of love. And so love, love. Uh, but it's, um, it's interesting being in the, the, um, car manufacturing and car design side of the world still. And at Definitely. auto shows, it's always crazy because I have to think, okay, now do I know that person from the journalism side of the world or is it the, you know, Autodesk, you know, design and manufacturing side of the car business? You know, who am I talking well, to? So I'm wearing lots of different hats, which is well, fun. It's, it's just crazy. It's a lot. You're seeing crazy hidden. Nobody even knows it exists designs. You're doing, you know, yeah. non-disclosure yeah. forms and seeing crazy stuff. And you have such not only design background, but still design connections that informs you so much in this show. And you and I have joked about the fact that if you had gone on to be an automotive designer, if that was your day job, you couldn't do this show because it would be a exactly massive conflict right. of interest. I was just going to say Because that. you'd work for Honda or wherever. And you, yeah, and, and you don't. You, you, we, are, we are autonomous in that regard. And fully independent, and we revel in that, and it allows us to do whatever cars we think are interesting to us and will be interesting to you, the yeah. audience, and review yeah. them candidly because nobody's paying us anything, and we're we're off doing it for the love of it and to create good content. And thankfully, the YouTube model does pay now a little bit more than the show actually spends, which is a novel idea, which is why we <laughs> can do spends. some of our bigger movies. I know nice. it's crazy, and and uh, and you know the. Um, that's why we do the feature films and the other stuff to continue to grow the brand and to get ourselves further embedded in TV and just get this brand out there because we continue to cling to the reality of if you're watching our stuff, it is high quality, period. And that's something that we, we just – that's a, a line we drew for ourselves and said we're not crossing this. Yep, yep. And to your point, you said it's – the reason we're doing this is a love for, for cars. And I believe the reason you guys are watching and listening is for that same love of cars. And so that's sure. why we ask for support. Not to you know line our pockets, but to go right back into this labor of love and to continue to grow mm -hmm. the business mm -hmm. to produce interesting informational things on how to buy cars. I mean, that's what it all came back to for Todd and I. Both of our families and friends were asking us, hey, you know what? I'm kind of yeah. shopping for a car. Yeah, I need yeah. something. Hey, you're into cars. You kind of know them. Would you go to the dealership with me? I've got to go drive a test, a test drive a car. and." I don't know who I am as a buyer. I don't know if I want a pickup truck mm -hmm, or a car, mm -hmm. sports car, and we would be happy to go. And it's that thinking <laughs> that is translated through everything we've just described to you, from car design to filmmaking and screenwriting and directing and the final production. Yeah. All this is behind whatever we say on camera to help you, our audience, try to spend your money better, try to you know enjoy mm -hmm. driving in cars and and you can hopefully see the lineage now about where that's grown, but that's where we're putting yeah. all of this yeah, effort yeah. into. And so that's why we say, hey, check this out. You know, support us here if you can. And we appreciate it. We really do. And it goes right back into making quality, as Todd said. 
you know, along those lines, I'm going to throw this out right now. I hadn't thought about getting there, but you've, you've, you've given me the softball. Have you rated the podcast? <laughs> If you're listening, please rate the podcast iTunes or Stitcher. I'm not really wrapping up yet, but I just thought it was a good place okay. to put that. You please go place. in, make a comment, give it a give it a star rating. That helps other people find it. Tell other people about the videos. And we are continuing some of the stuff we can't even discuss, but we are continuing to chase big things. We want to continue to grow the show. We're actually, I'm going to tease this a little bit. You and I, I don't know that I'm fully allowed to say this, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> We're going to do a Germany trip. We're going to try to not only go to Germany because yep. we want to go to Germany, but we're going to try to show kind of the random tourist way to go to Germany if you are a car person. We're going to do a feature film on that. We're very excited about that. Yeah. That's coming up. And, of course, ongoing group of Fast Blasts. And we've also even got some stuff we're going to shoot at this year's Motor Press Guild Track Day. We didn't shoot last year. We're going to shoot this year. So ongoing uh, flurry of new cars. We'll be at the LA Auto Show again this year talking about that, what's on the floor there. Um, so the great thing about the podcast that I'm honestly loving is the fact that we have a lot more flexibility to talk about a larger range of things while mm -hmm. keeping yeah. the videos very high quality and focused on what they do well. It's a lot of fun. And I, I've wrapped up before saying, you know, hey, we're having fun. I hope you are, too. It's the truth. It really is. And that's why we're doing it. Yeah. I, I'm just... Yeah, thinking ahead to all the stuff you're describing and a lot of stuff that I want to say but we can't talk about because right. until it's nailed down, until it happens, it's it's not quite finished. I, I will tell Todd, until we are actually – until that thing is posted on YouTube, it's not done because there you're are right. so many right. things that can get in the way just from a production standpoint or editing or whatever that is. Until it's posted, we're not done. And so there's a lot of stuff coming I used to say to you, I don't believe we have a car until it's on set. And what was funny is eventually you not only absorbed that comment, but you turned it around on me and went, no, 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 no. We don't have a car until we're done shooting it and it drives away, which yeah. is a much better description of what really is required for us to go. We really have a film. We've had, we've had production sometimes that halfway through we've had car issues and gone, we don't have a film. We don't have enough. I mean, those, yeah. that's a frightening moment, yeah. especially when money's being spent to fly places. But thankfully, that is fewer and farther between, and we're cranking out the content more because we're getting in some really cool cars for Fast Blast. So hang on with us for Fast Blast. We've also got some big reviews coming up. Our uh, M235 and S3 piece, we've teased that for a while. Yeah, that's that, coming out. That, that Focus and Fiesta ST Octane School, we put that up front, which pushed, pushed the uh, Comparo back. But that was a great piece we shot on a new location, Southern California, our shooter, Edgar Perez, you've probably seen him on our uh, behind-the-scenes piece for Mid-Engines and Mountains. Edgar shot on that and did some of his best work ever. It is a gorgeous-looking piece. Can't wait to show that with you. Just every and, shot uh, is amazing, stunning There's great stuff in that. There's great stuff in that. And we just, uh, you know, we, we're shooting long-terms for the FRS. We've actually got a interesting tire-related drift video of the FRS coming up. Um, there's so much madness, I can barely <laughs> wrap my head around it. Man, as Todd said at the top of the podcast, if you have a car debate, you've been listening probably for a while now, and you've been following everything up to this point. If you've got a car debate, Everyday Driver TV at Gmail, because we love debating this, and it it gets us out of our comfort. We were, you know, we we're talking uh, just recently. We we're guesting on uh, another podcast, as a matter of fact, and talking yep. about things that you know influences that we don't necessarily talk about, like. I need a car my grandmother can get into, into easily, or I really like the, the uh -huh. ca best cars for realtors show. I even saw on our Twitter feed that uh, um, 
some realty company. I think it was Shorewood Realtors favorited that. And I went, Don't know. how did you find that? That's fantastic. How random. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How yeah, random totally is agree. this? Totally so agree. keep it coming. We're loving that. So suggest uh, car debates at that email address. And for Fast Blast content, find us on Facebook. We do read everything, as Todd said. It's becoming uh, a lot. And so it might take a, a bit before we it get is. back to you. But uh... It is. It is. We, we, we may have to, to, to enlist help just to read email and field the admin because it's starting to become a fantastic wave. But thank you. Don't stop. We've been stop. asking for it, though. Thank you for that. <laughs> we're and, yeah, we asking have, and I'm for glad it. it's so... coming through. Yeah. You know, early in uh, 2016, we're hoping to get to more cities for Fast Blasts. We actually have a few reasons we're thinking of maybe, I'm, I'm teasing now, but hopefully we'll go to the Chicago area because hello to Chi-Town. You guys are listening like crazy. That is one of our biggest cities for podcast listeners, which is crazy. Yeah. And people yeah. in Chicago have popped up and gone, I have this random car. So I'm starting to look at Paul and go, I never really thought we should take a road trip to Chicago, but apparently Chicago has some cars for us. So hopefully hey. we'll do some East Coast stuff. We've got some West Coast That'd stuff coming up soon. And uh, we're hoping in 2016 we'll go to new locations and just vary, uh, vary the situation even more as we continue to do our big pieces as well. We've got a, a Miata piece we're looking at right now. And, uh, oh, the madness. I mean, seriously, madness. I'm, 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 I'm borderline insane at this point. As everyday driver takes over my day job, I'm borderline just about to go nuts. But I asked for it, and I'm loving it. So when we started the podcast one year ago, we agreed that, you know what, we'll keep it short and sweet. We'll keep it to right about 30 minutes. You know, we'll just Not you know, now. get through the debates and then wrap up with, you know, little things at the end. Start with some car news and try to keep it about 30 minutes. We're kind of coming up on an hour now, and I think that's well, hilarious. It's a year that our, in, that our backstory, our backstory piece runs an hour. Nothing wrong with that. If you're looking for Everyday Driver, I mean, obviously you found us here, but if you're looking for Everyday Driver, it is slash Everyday Driver wherever you are. The only exception to that rule is the Everyday Driver TV at Gmail. Otherwise, it is Everyday Driver pretty much everywhere. We'd love to have you with us on Facebook and Twitter. We share a lot of stuff there. Yeah, you can of yeah. course support us on Patreon. And if you have not seen our movies, 50 Years of 9-11, we already talked about. We mentioned Mid-Engines and Mountains. We have another one coming up this year. You can find all of those on Amazon or through Vimeo. Also, you can follow the trail of those from our website. Guys, thank you. Really, really appreciate your support. I can't believe it's a year's worth of podcasts. You know that? I just... And an hour's worth of us rambling about the past. Anyway, that happens. That's happened. (laughs) It's crazy. Thank you, guys. Really, really appreciate it. And... um, yeah, tell a friend, tell an enemy, you know, tell everybody you know. They like they like cars, wear it on a banner. That sounds like a plan to me. <laughs> awesome. <laughs>